This is episode 266 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like William Shakespeare, our work is supported by listeners like you who sign up to be our patrons. You can help support the show and access over 150 additional episodes not available on public listening platforms when you sign up to be a patron today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. Hi, I'm Paul Lovejoy. I'm a professor at York University in Canada. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend, Cassidy Cash. They were not only interested in the freedom of worship, but they were also enticed to places such as Virginia by the mild climate and the richness of the soil, both of which are great for vine planting and wine production. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. I have a fun episode for you this week. We are exploring the history of the Huguenots, and you'll get to hear me learn about how to pronounce that name correctly. It is Huguenot and not Huguenots, as I had been saying, and which you may have been tempted to say as well. This week, we're exploring the arrival of Huguenots to England in Shakespeare's lifetime. During Catherine de' Medici's reign as queen consort in France, the country was anything but hospitable to Protestants. The St. Bartholomew's Day massacre in the late 16th century saw thousands of Huguenots rounded up and slaughtered. That was only one event where Huguenots were proven unwelcome and in danger to remain in France. Throughout the reigns of Edward VI, Elizabeth I, and on into the 17th century and beyond, England as a Protestant nation became a safe haven for refugee French Calvinists. During Shakespeare's lifetime, the impact of the arrival of Huguenots seems to have been significant, with Shakespeare writing about, quote, strangers over 70 times across his works, often using the term to describe someone from another country who may not speak English and is simultaneously in need of welcome and to be viewed also with some necessary suspicion. We see plays like Hamlet extending a hand of friendship when Hamlet says in Act One, quote, and therefore as a stranger, give it welcome, end quote. Then again, in Love's Labor's Lost, Act 5, Rosalind, being much less accommodating, says, quote, since you are strangers and come here by chance, will not be nice, end quote. While these references could refer to any international immigrant, many believe that Shakespeare commented directly on the plight of the Huguenots from France with one impassioned speech about how to treat so-called strangers that is given in the historical play Sir Thomas More. Furthermore, we know that William Shakespeare had direct personal connections to Huguenots, having lived for a time as a lodger in London with Christopher and Mary Mountjoy, a French Huguenot couple. Here today to tell us more about the plight of refugee French Calvinists in the life of William Shakespeare is our guest and fellow of the Huguenot Society of Great Britain and Ireland, Joyce Hampton. 
Joyce Hampton is author of two books on the history of the Huguenots. She is currently writing her third book on Huguenot history that will tell the story of the lives of specific Huguenot women. Joyce is a member of the Huguenot Society of Great Britain and Ireland and serving on the council there. Joyce works with the president and vice president of the Huguenot Society to raise awareness and expand their resources. You can see more about Joyce and find links to the Huguenot Society in the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Joyce. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life. Hello, Cassidy. Pleased to meet you. Very glad to have you here. I'm excited to look into the history of the Huguenots for Shakespeare's lifetime. And I wonder about the volume of Huguenots coming to England during the mid-16th and 17th century. What kind of influx was going on during Shakespeare's lifetime? There was approximately 50,000 that came to England with an estimated 10,000 going on to Ireland from England. That's a substantial amount of of people. And I wonder what impact did the Edict of Nantes have on the flow of refugees to England from France? Well, with the signing of the Edict of Nantes in 1598, the religious wars finally came to an end. Henri IV of France was once a Protestant himself, and he ensured that the Edict gave Huguenots certain privileges, including some religious liberties. I will update my pronunciation here. So we're, I'm to say Huguenot. Yes, please. I will be glad to do that. Are the Huguenots the reason that the word refugee came to be part of the English language? Yes. The word is derived from the French word refugee, which refers to the Huguenots who sought refuge here. And that's how it came to be part of the English language. What was the opinion in England about this influx of French refugees to the country? I mean, how were Huguenots received? What was the response, I guess, to them showing up here? There was a little bit of mix. There were welcoming, but from time to time, such as in 1593 in London, there was resentment because the capital's businessmen and traders felt a little bit threatened by all these foreigners coming in and the competition that they were generating. So they organized petitions and they lobbied Parliament for protection. According to the book by Charles Nicholl, the lodger Shakespeare on Silver Street, the London businessmen and traders were grieved at the great number of strangers who settled here amongst us, especially at two groups of them, merchants and handicraftsmen which makes perfect sense. But having said all that, overall, they were welcomed here because they were Protestants. And from the mid-16th century until the early 18th century, there was a persistent fear here of the expansionist aims of the Habsburgs, the King of France and other European Catholic powers. The government had viewed the influx as a mixed a mixed bag, you know, some of it might be good for them, some not bad. Therefore, they wanted to keep tabs on the Huguenots and see what they were up to. But at the same time, they were happy to accept the benefits of wealth that the mainly skilled artisan Huguenots were bringing to their land of adoption. You have to remember that during this era, most men and women in France and England tended to work on the land in rural occupations, but significantly 
French Huguenots tended to gather to live and work in towns because they were skilled craftsmen. We know that Christopher and Mary Mountjoy were a Huguenot family living on Silver Street in London, which you referred to. That's the family that Charles Nichols's book talks yes. about as well. But we have records of William Shakespeare living with them as a lodger from 1602 to 1604. Joyce, was this set up as a business and lodging establishment typical for immigrant families when you're saying they were moving into towns and, and working there? Is this one of the things that they did? Yes, yes. One of for example, one of Shakespeare's contacts was an old childhood friend, Richard Field. Now, interestingly, Richard was the second husband of a Huguenot bookbinder printer. He married Jacqueline Votrolio about a year after her husband died, first husband died. Richard had served an apprenticeship with Votrolio and was commissioned by Shakespeare to print some of his earlier works, such as Venus and Adonis. So therefore, this would be a good means of income for anyone, whether indigenous or a stranger. Printing and publishing was really taking off at this time. The Huguenot William de Lorne had, for example, purchased a large tenement property in Blackfriars in October 1593. And parts of this were, at various times, leased to other Huguenots. There were Englishmen as well that, that leased property from him. But many of the Huguenots arriving here set up their own businesses in the trade they're trained in and would live as well as work in the property. Interestingly, William's son, Gideon, trained as an apothecary and eventually led the movement to found the Society of Apothecaries. They wanted their own movement, which was incorporated by Royal Charter on the 6th of December 1617. And we're just going to clarify that's William Delon's son, Gideon, not William of William Shakespeare, in case there's any confusion based on the context of our conversation. Yes, yes. Was the Huguenot religion based on the teaching of John Calvin different from the Protestant religion being practiced by the Church of England during the 16th and 17th century? I know you referenced the fact that they were both Protestant, but was there any conflict or clash in the practice of religion? Well, Huguenots and the established Church of England at that time largely shared a Calvinist theology. They agreed on the fundamentals of faith and usually on the importance of preaching rather than ceremonial. Both churches rejected icons, images, and relics within churches. However, the English church were still governed by bishops, which were operating under the crown. However, Huguenots had a less hierarchical system of regional synods, groups of ministers, and lay elders. And the other difference would be the English Book of Common Prayer employed some of the liturgy of the medieval church, whereas Huguenot worship was much more austere. In the 1620s, Huguenots are listed among those settling English colonies like Virginia. Were the Huguenots interested in the New World as a place to more freely practice their religion? Oh, yes, indeed they were. They were keen to forge a new beginning in places such as Virginia. There had been attempts to settle in America before the date you quoted, but sadly, they were unsuccessful. 
they were not only interested in the freedom of worship, but they were also enticed to places such as Virginia by the mild climate and the richness of the soil, both of which are great for vine planting and wine production. I wasn't aware that the Huguenots were, that culturally they were connected with vine planting and I I assume wine production. Was that part of the culture they brought with them? Yes, yes, they did. And they took it to other parts of the world where, again, the it was the right climate and the soil was right as well. The Huguenots were known for their specific skills as well as for their religion. What were the recognizable skills specific to the Huguenots that made them valuable immigrants to countries like England that were trying to colonize the Americas? Were they Was England wanting the Huguenots to be involved in this for their skills at winemaking, or did they have other skills that they were attractive as part of these expeditions? Oh, yes, indeed they did. They were highly skilled silk weavers. People often, if you say the word Huguenot, say, oh, silk weavers. But in addition to that, They were silversmiths, they were watch and clock makers, jewellers, furniture makers. And notice all these trades are things that would create high value products, which would eagerly be sought by wealthy members of society and not just in this country. So these products would often be exported and this added to the wealth of their country of adoption through taxes. Also, they could be found among professions such as the army or the navy. Some came over and were teachers and doctors. But those who left for the American colonies were, also, were in addition, keen to try their hand at clearing and settling virgin territory. Obviously, we can see how the Huguenots and their arrival in England, as well as their dispersal in the culture of England, were highly valuable to their homeland. I love the their adopted land, as what you're saying, uh, yeah. as the phrase there. That's a beautiful expression. And I know that we would love to explore the history of the Huguenots in England and their history during the 16th and 17th century, just their story, and to know more about this part of history. What are some of your favorite books or resources you can recommend we use to learn more? I would highly recommend Devil Land by Claire Jackson. The book begins in 1588, during the reign of Elizabeth I and continues through an immense century of change, goes through the Stuarts and the Cromwellian time, and then on to William III, to 1688. It includes some very useful information regarding Huguenots, if you want to learn more. My second recommendation to give balance would be Catherine de' Medici by Leone Frieda. This book not only covers the life of Catherine, but significantly includes the reigns of each of her sons during the wars of religion. So it gives the reader an overview from the French perspective. For anyone seeking to find out more about the Huguenots in general, I would recommend going to their website, the Huguenot Society of Great Britain and Ireland. It can be found at www.huguenotsociety.org.uk. There is a wealth of information on this website to point people in the right direction of research and knowledge. 
for those who apply for membership, there is also a special members area where you can access a vast resource of online information to gain further knowledge. I would suggest for those visiting or living in the United Kingdom, a visit to the Huguenot Library. Please see the website for details of how to book an appointment. One final place I would recommend that you look is the Huguenot Museum, which is placed at Rochester in Kent. It's very close to the train station and it's well worth a visit. If you want to look at it online, please go to www.huguenotmuseum.org. Those are excellent suggestions, and we will link to both of these resources in the show notes for today's episode, so make sure you go there to find direct links to those. Now, Joyce, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible, so your choice would be in addition to those. I think I would choose to take with me King of the World, The Life of Louis Fourteenth, by Philip Mansell. The time span, as well as the breadth and depth of world events covered in this book in connection with Louis, is impressive. And it's a book worthy of reading more than once. It was Louis Fourteenth who signed the revocation, cancelling the Edict of Nantes. So anyone with interest in finding out more about the Huguenots would enjoy finding out more about the events that led to this significant revocation. It was a pivotal moment in French history when that was signed in 1685. And of course, they would learn more about the ramifications of that signing. An absolutely essential companion piece to the study of the Huguenot history for sure, and an excellent way to spend time on your deserted islands. We'll link to Joyce's Desert Island book selection in the show notes today as well. Thank you. Well, Joyce, what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Well, I'm working on my new book. I feel that women, Huguenot women, have been somewhat overlooked. Although many have played a significant part in our history, and in many cases, their determination has led to significant improvements within society. They tend to be largely forgotten. Not every one of them is, but they have made an immense difference to women in society. So that's what I'm writing at the moment. What a great idea to tell their stories and shine a light on their part of history. I know we'll look forward to seeing that book come to fruition. If you would like to stay in touch with Joyce and learn more about the Huguenot Society and to keep tabs on when you can read her next book coming out, we will place links in the show notes to all of these things. So make sure you go there to find that. Joyce Hampton, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us just a little slice of the Huguenot history from Shakespeare's lifetime. It's been fun talking with you. Thank you, Cassidy. It's been a delight to speak to you. If you like the show today, be sure to let us know about it. Drop us a comment and a rating on the platform you're listening from today. If you would like to see some visual history that goes along with the audio that you're listening to on the podcast today, be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode. We'll have visuals related to Richard Fields, as well as Christopher and Mary Mountjoy, The Lodger, and links to 
more information on the Huguenot history. We'll have links also to the resources that Joyce recommends, including the books that she suggests and direct links to the Huguenot Society and the Huguenot Museum, so that if you are in the UK, you can check those out. But if you're not located in the UK, you can check them out online and explore them from wherever you're listening from today. Find all these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 266. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP266. If you enjoy our show and you love exploring 16th and 17th century England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, then the way that Shakespeare would have lived it, then consider becoming a patron. There are over 150 additional episodes of our show available in the back catalog, and you can listen to as many as you want from our patrons-only RSS feed. In addition to our back catalog, patrons who support the show are treated to behind-the-scenes extras, including sneak peeks at upcoming guests, the chance to submit your own questions to be asked during an interview, bonus episodes and so much more explore all the benefits and join us as a patron today at patreon.com slash that shakespeare life that's patreon.com slash that shakespeare life that shakespeare life is researched and produced by me cassidy cash our audio engineer is gary mayholm that's it for this week thank you for listening i'm cassidy cash and i hope you learn something new about the bard i'll see you next time bye-bye thank you for listening to that shakespeare life As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.